Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning and welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're with us today. Glad we got another chance to answer a few of your questions about the Bible. And that's what we do on this program. It's the only thing we do on this program is answer your questions. We want you to know your Bible and a little bit better. And we've figured out that the best way to do that is let you ask the questions. So uh, that's what we do. We have a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen all the time. Use those anytime you want to get in touch with us. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. You direct the program, and we just follow your lead and try to answer as many as we can each week. Toby Levering's here. He helps me out, and we try to get as many as we can in each week. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, we always start with one question for our viewing audience, just to see if they know a little bit of Bible information. And Last week we asked about what was Paul's Jewish name. Today let's ask about what was Paul's Jewish tribe uh, what tribe did Paul come from among the 12 tribes of Israel? And we'll give you the answer to that one at the end of the program. See if you got that one right. All right, Toby, I think you're number one today, so yep. get us started. I'm hitting cleanup. I, uh, I'm correcting <laughs> something you must have said. They, <laughs> they said, you said, Jesus created the world. I thought, God created the world. Please explain. All right. Uh, the, who created the world, God or Jesus? And the answer to that, of course, is yes. Uh, we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We'll notice there a very interesting word, let us create man in our own image. That is not by accident. The word us simply means is a, the plural form. And so if you read by that very quickly, you wonder, who is us? What is this all about? Well, of course, this would be referring to a word that's not in the Scripture, but the word helps us understand the concept a little bit better of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That word is called the Trinity. And I have a graphic that is uh, not a biblical in origin, but uh, it is uh, uh, helps us understand a little bit that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all God, and yet they are separate entities of the Godhead, if we might call it that. The Son is not the Father, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son. They're, they're uh, parts of the same uh, uh, one God, and yet uh, they are very distinct and separate. Uh, the simple illustration, we might think of that as an apple, there's uh, the, the seeds of an apple, there's the fruit, there's the skin. Uh, they are all uh, parts of the apple, and yet they all, we would call them all together, apple. <laughs> we don't get down into saying this is the skin of the apple, the seed of the apple, and so forth. We just call it the apple. Well, that's a very poor illustration to ex explain a very deep theological concept, but this is what we're talking about. Yes, Jesus uh, did create the world. He was there at the creation of the world. In fact, Scripture goes on to say uh, that not only did He create all things, but 
through the, all things were created for him. And Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, we'll look at this together on the screen. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So this uh, is uh, helps us understand that, yes, Jesus created the world, and so did God, and so did the Holy Spirit together as God for a purpose. So hope that helps them understand a little bit uh, the concept of the Trinity. All right. Um, as much as one can in three minutes. <laughs> a little difficult, but uh, yes, you're right on track there. All right, got an interesting question here. Viewer says, the Bible says the road to heaven is narrow, but it also says grace covers all our sin. Uh, so why does it say it's so hard to get to heaven? Well, what our viewers thinking evidently is that it, if grace covers all sin, then it's really pretty easy to get to heaven. But the Bible says it's hard to get to heaven. The road's narrow. Well, let me point out a little fatal flaw in our viewers' reasoning there, I think. Uh, the Bible really never says it's hard to get to heaven. It just says not many people will. Now, there's a difference. Let's read the passage that you're referring to. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide's the gate, and broad's the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. Okay? I don't think he's saying it's so hard to find that there's going to be very few people that can find it. I think what he's saying is uh, not many people will take that road. A lot of people will take the easy way. They'll take the path to destruction. Uh, but there's a few people that will desire it enough, that will seek it, which the Bible says to do, and they'll find that narrow road. Now, to be a child of God, to be a Christian, uh, it does say things like you have to seek God. Uh, if you seek Him, you'll find Him. It also says you have to deny yourself uh, to really follow Christ. Now, not many people are willing to do that. Uh, you tell a lot of people that there is a God and His Son died for us and all that. They're not interested. Uh, they're not seeking Him. They're enthralled with the joys of the world, the pleasures of the sin for a season, and they don't care about your religious talking. Uh, and then if you go ahead and tell them, well, to follow Him, you have to deny yourself and make Him more important. Uh, not a, really a lot of people that don't have any interest in that. So I think that's all Jesus is saying is there's two ways. You, you can choose to follow me and go to heaven or you can choose the way to destruction. And most people are going to choose the way to destruction. It's broad, it's easy, it's narrow, it's wide. Uh, and it's not that it's hard, that it's difficult. It's just few people will make that choice. I think that's a lot better way to understand that passage. Grace does cover our sin. Once we understand that, uh, once we figure out how amazing grace is, uh, getting to heaven isn't on our effort. It isn't hard. It isn't difficult. Uh, but few people understand that or want to understand that. Uh, I think the one place where he did say something about it being hard, he said it's harder for a rich man 
to get to heaven uh, than to go a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, whether that's literal or not doesn't matter. He's just saying it's hard. Well, that's because for a rich man who has all the earth's blessings uh, to deny himself, to put something else first, is really hard uh, because of the choices that you have to make. So hopefully I uh, helped a little bit on that. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. It's not difficult. It's not impossible to find your way to heaven. It's just not many people are going to make that choice. Uh, Jesus is just stating fact there when he says... Most people are going to take the broad way. Um, yep, I don't think I have any other scriptures on that, so okay. I think it's your turn, Toby. Yep. All right. Viewer <laughs> says, uh, you compared God to a father punishing his children. A father would not condemn his child to eternal damnation, so how can a loving God do so? Well, I'm not exactly sure uh, the, the specific question we were answering or the context of it. We sometimes will use that illustration, which admittedly is an imperfect one because we're talking about imperfect human fathers to our perfect heavenly father. Uh, but there is a comparison, something we can relate to, and we may have been answering a question about uh, God disciplining us rather than eternal judgment. So I'm going to deal with the eternal judgment side of your question uh, because it, it uh, is something that is very unpopular today, the idea that God would send anyone to hell. Uh, certainly when you read the description of hell, it's darkness, uh, the unquenchable fire, uh, the, the misery uh, that the rich man was in uh, in the afterworld when he chose not to do things God's way. How would a loving God ever do something so horrible uh, to any of his children? Another way to ask it, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, <laughs> and my answer to that is a loving God doesn't send anyone to hell. Uh, they send themselves there. Uh, they choose. Uh, God has done everything under the Son, by His Son, through His Son, uh, to bring us to eternity with Him. But the one thing that remains is our choice to choose to follow Him, to submit our will to His, to say to Him, Father, Thy will be done. But there, God will not override uh, a person's free will. Uh, to choose to disobey, to rebel, to flee from God their whole life. That is not what God wants. But when they, uh, when they die, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that to face judgment. When that moment happens, uh, there will be one of two places that that, that that soul ends up. In heaven, for those who say to God, Thy will be done. Or hell is for those who God simply looks at and says, Thy will be done. Uh, God is like a father in the sense that he loves us and wants no one to perish. This is not on the screen, but Second Peter chapter 3 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. Uh, that is why the, the Lord tarries in coming, because God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he is a father, and he does love you very much. And, of course, he wants as many of his children uh, surrounding his throne in eternity as possible. I hope that helps you. Let's look at one verse in Proverbs 3, uh, verses 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father of the son he delights in. I hope that helps you understand a little bit more about God's love for us. Okay, thank you, Toby. 
take just a moment and uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. We've got uh, some courses that we're happy to send you, some free materials that will help you study the Bible. Um, we answer a few questions every week, and hopefully you learn a little bit more about the Bible by being with us uh, this morning. But uh, there's a whole lot of stuff in the Bible that uh, only you can find, and uh, God will speak to you through it if you take the time to study His Word and seek Him through it. So we try to encourage people to study at home, and we've got some courses. You see the first one on the screen here. There's eight lessons in it. It starts with the real basics, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and gets you started well. Uh, then once you're beyond this course, we've got some more advanced courses that uh, help you understand the Bible and know your Bible better. So absolutely free. We pay the postage. All you got to invest is a little bit of your time phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime and tell us, want that free course? That's all you got to tell us. Give us your name and address and we'll get it to you. Uh, nothing bad will happen. You don't get on a mailing list. You never get asked for money. Uh, all we're doing is providing some study materials that we've found to be very helpful in helping people understand the Bible. So give us a call. Let us get that started for you. All right, very, very difficult question. Viewer wants to know when people are sick, uh, cancer, etc., and they're suffering, uh, why won't God let them die? Well, tough question. Uh, any question about why God does something is a tough question. Uh, we're not God. We don't understand. We don't see things the way He sees them. Uh, we've got some. We're really human, and we've got some human perspectives on things. Uh, let me give you a couple of helpful, maybe helpful answers to this. Uh, I think, first of all, uh, we see things so differently from God. We're caught in this world, in this frame of time reference, uh, what seems like pain to us. Uh, and God sees it differently is the only thing I can say. Uh, Paul wrote a very interesting passage. Uh, he was talking about all the suffering that he went through and all the sufferings that we go through as Christians, even when we're persecuted and all that. And look at what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. He said, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look at those two words. This suffering, no matter how bad it is, he calls it light and momentary. Uh, from God's perspective, uh, yeah, it's painful for us, and we think it's the most horrible pain we've ever seen or endured or anybody could endure and all that. And God says it's light. And we think it goes on and on and on, and why won't this God let this person die? Why does he have to live another day? And Paul calls it momentary. Uh, I know we don't understand that. I know when your loved one is lying there suffering, uh, all of this just is a bunch of babble and theory talk and doesn't help much. Uh, but it's the truth. Uh, our life here is light and momentary. Our sufferings are light and momentary. And someday when we get to heaven, we'll understand that. It's going to be glory beyond comparison. Uh, second thing I would th say is that I've seen people suffer. I've seen loved ones suffer. Uh, I've seen lots of folks in the church uh, 
suffer and I ask myself, why does this have to go on? Why can't I have prayed? Why don't we just end this, God? Uh, but <clears throat> then I turn around later and realize I've learned a lot from people who are suffering. I've learned a lot about faith. I've learned a lot about how to die. Uh, a lot of people have taught me and others how to live, uh, but only someone that's dying and doing it with great faith uh, <clears throat> can teach us how to die. So we learn things from suffering. Now, there are societies where they're trying to eliminate this, uh, and they have euthanasia laws and things, and they say if anybody is tired of living and doesn't want to suffer any pain, well, let's just kill them and get them out of the way and <clears throat> eliminate that suffering. And those societies are going to be really, really sorry someday uh, because they're not going to understand anything about death and suffering. and It'll just go on and on, and pretty soon nobody will want to suffer anything, no matter how light or momentary. So uh, I think we learn something from our loved ones who have to go through this, and we see them do it with strength and dignity, and uh, I think it's good for our children to see that, and uh, we try to eliminate that these days. I think we're going to pay the price for that uh, the more and more we push suffering off to the side and don't want to see it or witness it. So anyhow, those are just a couple of things that hopefully will help you understand that. Uh, I can't tell you why God doesn't end things sooner than he does sometimes, uh, but from his perspective, it's all going to be worth it someday. So hope that helps uh, in some way on that difficult question. Okay, tell me. The next question, if you wants to know, is there anything in the Bible about <clears throat> dinosaurs? And the answer to that, I believe, is yes. Now, the Bible doesn't use the word dinosaur. The Bible uses the word leviathan. And that is found in Job chapter 41. It's very interesting as you read the description of this mighty creature, uh, just how amazing it was. The writer describes it this way, I will not fail to speak of Leviathan's limbs, its strength and its graceful form. When it rises up, the mighty are terrified. They retreat before its thrashing. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. Uh, I, um, we see from these brief descriptions, and if you want a fuller description, you should read all of Job chapter 41. But in my mind, yes, those are uh, exact descriptions of what we would call today the dinosaur. Uh, the book of Job was probably written, even though it's toward the middle of the Bible, uh, was probably written uh, maybe at the time of uh, early creation. We don't know exactly, of course, but uh, it is very likely that uh, Job in chapter 41 is describing uh, the dinosaur, and uh, it's a, a mighty beast. If you've ever been to see any dinosaur fossils and how huge they are, in fact, in, here in Wichita, we've got a local exhibit coming through where they sort of uh, hook these up to pulleys and things, and they show how they might have moved and how graceful and powerful they must have been. I can only imagine. Uh, and, of course, it's all within the realm of God's creative strength to create such a, a mighty beast. But uh, anyway, yes, they are in Job 41. There's some big creatures back there of some sort anyway. Mm -hmm. Sound mighty like a dinosaur. Uh, all right, question about homosexuality. Why do you take the stand you do on homosexuality when neither Jesus nor the Ten Commandments address the issue? 
Well, I'm familiar with this argument that this viewer's uh, seen somewhere and asked us about. Now, first of all, let me talk about our stand on homosexuality. We don't make a big deal out of that, but we get some questions about it. We believe the practice of homosexuality is sinful. Uh, we don't think it's any more sinful than all the other sins that are listed in the Bible. Uh, but we think the practice itself is uh, condemned by God. Uh, we'll read a verse in a moment that says that quite clearly. Uh, but what this viewer has done is read some things, and a lot of people these days are trying to rectify the Bible uh, to be pro-homosexual. Uh, I've read those writings. I've seen the, the reasoning. I understand what they're trying to do uh, to justify it in their eyes. Uh, and one of the arguments is, well, the Ten Commandments, there's nothing in there about homosexuality. Well, the whole law of Moses, you read that, there's a whole lot about <laughs> homosexuality. Uh, the Ten Commandments are just the top ten moral codes, uh, but there's a whole lot of other laws where the law of Moses spoke very clearly against sexual sins of all kinds, including homosexuality. Uh, so. That's just a, a moot argument. Uh, the other one is Jesus didn't say anything about it. Well, Jesus didn't say anything about a whole lot of things. Uh, Jesus gave some very broad principles, but there's a whole lot of things that we know are wrong, that we th believe are wrong, that we wouldn't think anybody should practice. Uh, they never passed Jesus' lips. He didn't say anything about them. Uh, so those two arguments, while they're kind of sound good when you say them real fast, they really don't mean anything. Uh, if you tried to limit our moral practices in this world to only things that Jesus condemned and only things in the little short list of ten, <clears throat> uh, we'd eliminate a whole lot of things that the Bible clearly says are evil. So the answer to that is why we take the stand, we take the whole Bible. Uh, we believe the whole Bible is true. We believe it's the Word of God. We don't limit uh, rules and regulations to just what Jesus said or what the Ten Commandments say. Uh, let me just show you one verse that clearly lists homosexuality along with a number of other sins as being sinful in God's sight. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> Paul said to the Corinthians, uh, Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Uh, neither sexually immoral, and that covers all sexual immorality, adultery, incest, everything. Uh, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, uh, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Uh, but, here's the good news, uh, and he said at the start, you used to do these things. He said, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The people in Corinth used to practice all those things. And when they were practicing that unrighteousness, Paul says they weren't going to heaven, but they were sanctified. They turned to Christ. They changed their lifestyle. Uh, that's a great verse that not only indicates homosexuality is wrong along with a whole lot of other sins but if you turn to Christ you can change your lifestyle so that's the answer why we take the stand we do we believe the whole Bible uh, not just a few select portions of it 
We take just a moment and invite you to visit the Church of Christ near you. We are kept on the air by Churches of Christ. I'd like to mention some of our supporters every week, our partners over in Missouri and the broadcast that goes down into Arkansas uh, comes from Springfield, Missouri, and our partner church over there is the Watermill Church of Christ on Barn Street in Springfield. A wonderful group of people. Bill McFarland preaches there. I know you'd enjoy getting to know him and the other folks around there. Great folks in Springfield and uh, have been a long time partner of Know Your Bible. You can drop in and visit them sometime. If you're looking for a church home, oh, you'd find a folks that would really welcome you. And if uh, you know somebody that attends there, maybe tell them. I heard you about you on Know Your Bible. I appreciate that program and thanks for keeping it on. So visit the Church of Christ near you. All right, Toby, we got some time left. You were asked the question, you said something about being absent from the body and in the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? This is a quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We can look at it together on the screen. Paul writes, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, if you look at the context of this, uh, Paul is considering the end of his life, uh, coming to uh, just thinking about uh, his purpose here on earth. And I think as Christians who've been long in the faith often do, uh, as the body wears out, as uh, life gets harder, uh, struggles become uh, not as easy to handle as they used to be. Uh, they come to that point when they realize that um, leaving the body, the soul leaving the body, is referring to when a person dies, uh, is not such a bad thing. Uh, it's it's going to take the, the person of faith home uh, to be with the Lord. And Paul understood that when the soul uh, leaves the body, uh, the soul still lives, it goes on, it exists. And uh, that's simply what it's talking about. Absent from the body is just referring to a person who has died. And I think ultimately he's referring to the hope that we have uh, beyond the grave in Christ. So I think that's what he's talking about. Hope that helps. Alrighty, thank you. Uh, viewer wants to know, real easy question here, how big is heaven? <laughs> uh, millions and millions of people have died. Where do they all fit? Uh, how can each one have a one-on-one -on -one with God? Well, the last part, we're going to have a long time, so we'll all get plenty of time with God. But how big is heaven? Uh, easy to answer because the revelator told us, chapter 21 and 22 says heaven is 12,000 furlongs wide and deep and high. Uh, furlongs an eighth of a mile, so that means it's about 1,500 miles square. Uh, which is about half the size of the United States, a little bigger than half the size of the United States, but it's also 1,500 miles tall, uh, so there's all sorts of levels maybe in there. I don't know. I think everybody's going to fit. <laughs> now, I say all that, but I think that's not literal. Uh, I think that's symbolic language. He's just saying, hey, it's going to be a big place. I personally don't think it will be that small. Uh, when you consider the universe that God made, uh, I don't think heaven is going to be limited to a box 1,500 miles <laughs> cubicle. Uh, but I think there'll be plenty of room for all of us wherever it is. And uh, it's going to be different. We're going to be spiritual bodies instead of physical bodies. So uh, we'll have plenty of time with God and uh, plenty of room. Uh, I don't know how big my mansion is going to be, but 
<laughs> doesn't matter. I heard one friend one time said, as long as I get one square foot to yep. stand on, I'm happy. So <laughs> it's going to be big enough is the answer to your question. All right, we're out of time for questions, but we got one trivia question to answer here. What was Paul's Jewish tribe? Uh, Paul was pretty proud of the fact. In fact, in Romans 11.1, 1, he said, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin and told people what tribe he came from. So he was a Benjamite Israelite. Uh, we're glad you've been with us today. We're going to answer some more of your questions next week. And if you thought of some during this program, be sure and get online or call them in. We'll try to answer them. We're glad you've been here today and come back next week for more answers. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.